All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Talk. I guess I am doing the intros. You're the intro guy now. That's because you need more practice for these potlucks. Sure. I think you should You got to warn me of these. I did not bring up the intro text. I still don't have it memorized. Your science for the source of people talking about things they want to talk about. I'm not even sure that was a grammatical sense. <laughs> Perfect. But something along those lines. We're science-y people, but not today. Well, there'd be some science today. I mean, sci-spiriential. Sci-spiriential? Yeah, yeah. Is that a thing? It, we're it is parallel now. to the side of science today. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> science adjacent. There we go. I like that. I That's like what that. I'm going with because I don't have a single study for this one. So you know how I feel. Hi, I'm Dr. Steven Siler. I got to tell you, it's a thrill for me to have the opportunity to go in and see a whole collection of my lectures and webinars all in one place, free of charge for the members of Fast Talk and the broader sports science world. And not only me, but other sports scientists have collected their work and Fast Talk Laboratories is presenting it for all of you to use and learn from every day. Join at our free listener member level to see Dr. Seiler's lectures and webinars. Join now at fasttalklabs.com. All right, what are we doing today, Trevor? Well, this is another potluck. So we've each got questions. It seems like we've got a format and grant... You always get to go first. I get to go first. Okay. By the way, Grant is looking snazzy. He got a haircut. He is. So here's my question. This is what I want to hear from you guys. So over the last, you know, I guess what, eight years when starting with Sky, there's been this big conversation at the tour about marginal gains. And you can see those marginal gains in various different ways. This year, it's super hot at the tour. So different people are doing different things. Like, uh, Good clips of Vingegaard and Pogachar on their trainers after the stages. There was a picture out the other day of like inside the Ineos tent, and there's a person with his feet up in an ice bath. So my question to you guys is, out of those marginal gains, which are you the most likely to try? What would you be trying? If you were in the tour, what would you be like, hey, guys, we got to have this sorted out? Can Can I ask, does this have to be sponsor appropriate no okay absolutely okay. It's, not. it's an open discussion yeah because i do think there's a lot of that stuff going on that's not necessarily sponsor appropriate there's yep. just no pictures of it there's yep. a reason there's buses yeah rob we have no sponsors well no i mean if i were <laughs> i'm putting myself in the shoes in the saddle of a pro tour rider you know they have concerns in that, the chamois in the chamois <laughs> of a pro tour rider they have concerns that i don't have right uh -huh. but they have washer machines in their buses so they're clean chamois yeah they have everything they need everything i don't know trevor Mar are you a marginal gains guy no so i'm actually so i'm going to give you the cop-out answer here oh god so you guys can talk about the marginal gains but actually this particular tour the spoiler alert if you haven't watched the tour, but by the time this is up, the tour is over. So hopefully you've all seen this and, and know what happens. I didn't watch today. Yeah, so no, wait a it. second here. I, yeah. actually, I haven't seen the final. So okay. today, right now, the final Pyrenees stage is going on. So we don't know what happened oh, okay. there. Okay. But as of last night, you saw that Tade basically has given up trying to get the yellow jersey. Certainly seemed like it, didn't it? Yeah. And look, I watched the first week of the tour. 
and you saw Tade going for those little marginal gains. And the, the thing that shocked me was seeing him being in the sprints mm-hmm. and attacking in those sprints, trying to get the two seconds here, the three seconds there. And my response to that after watching a ton of tours and as a coach was he's in trouble because that's not the way a grand tour winner should be racing in that first week. So your take is that if he felt like he needed such a small margin that he probably didn't have the wherewithal to be able to actually win out on the road and and get the big commanding lead like he normally would have done. My feeling, I think some of this was youthful exuberance. He came in and said, how can I train Mm -hmm. better? And worked on those little sides of his training. Uh, I got to get a better sprint. I got to get those extra seconds in the first few stages instead of just focusing on what is the best training for a Grand Tour winner Mm -hmm. and messed up his training. Well, I would even take that maybe a step further watching that tour where he or the stage where he cracked yeah. it looked like a straight bonk i mean he was pretty solid going into it and then all of a sudden he wasn't anymore yeah. and that's not to me that doesn't scream fitness all of a sudden he's unzipping his jersey the last time you bonked you remember you you felt like you were sweating all over the place you felt like you were a train wreck he just ran out of food and he had one really, really bad day. So this comes back to your point of maximal gains, right? Like right. just eat right or just do this stuff All right. All those up. little seconds he gained with those sprints in the first mm-hmm. week all went out the window sure. when he had one bad day. And you know, my counter argument to that is name any 23-day period where you didn't go out and have a bad day <laughs> on the bike and bonk a little bit. If you think that these guys don't have moments where they bonk. Oh, yeah. But as would you train right as a Grand Tour winner, you can push through that bonk. You know, I always did that type of training. I remember when I was on Rio Grande, I'd go out with guys, and they were always trying to get me to crack. Right. And one, you know, a couple times guys on the team were like, Trevor, you, you never crack. It drives us nuts. I'm like, yeah, I do. Like, we haven't seen him. Like, yes, you have. <laughs> but we didn't drop you. And I went, right. Because that's the type of training I do. Even when I crack, yes, I'm not attacking you, but I can sit on your wheel. And so to me, what I saw on the tour, and, and people, please feel free to argue with this, but I saw Tade going too much in those sprints at the beginning. I think he got his training mix just a little bit wrong, and he paid for it in those first couple of days in the mountains. And that's the, went for the marginal gains as opposed to the maximal gains. Cost them. I can see that. So look, I'm going to qualify this. I would give my left arm to have Tade's form on his worst day. So I'm not saying we got a bad rider here. The reason I like having this conversation about marginal gains with somebody of that level is because it's really apparent. These things might make a difference for guys like you and me, but we might not actually notice it as much, but you're really going to see it at that level. I don't know, Trevor. Talk to me when you're ready to give your left leg. Well, that I wouldn't quite have his form, would I? But you'd still be faster than I would, even with the one leg you have left. That's a good point. I'll take it. Yeah, for me, marginal gains really brings up the idea of of equipment and equipment choice. Maybe that's just my my personal bias, right? Sure. And for me, the the biggest thing is it's tires, right? And so I am a huge tire nerd, mostly because I feel like I derive a lot of confidence from tires, right? That's my connection to the road. All right. Yeah. And if I feel safe and confident, then I ride 
better. I ride smoother. I don't brake as hard. I'm not as choppy in my power or whatever else on, on descending. But then also, you know, if I'm confident that I've chosen the right tire that has great rolling resistance and, and all of these aspects, I'm not losing that two watts here or there. Sure. And, and it doesn't sound like much. It sounds like a marginal gain. But over a course that is that long, how many kilocalories is that saving you at the end of the day that protects you from this bonking? Mm-hmm. You know, we could do the math and maybe I'll put it up. I can't do it in my head right now, but we could probably, you know, calculate how many calories you're saving based on the sure. workload at the end of a, you know, seven hour long tour stage. You know, and so for me, I think that that's really important. And that's why I asked the question, does sponsor matter? Right. And I think a lot of people are locked into whatever team you know, sponsor that they have and the equipment that they have. And I know on the mountain bike side of things, you know, especially on downhill, taking it a little bit outside this realm, you will see riders running the tires they want to run and blacking out the sidewalls and everything else. I don't know that you see that as much on the road, but for me, that marginal gain, it really comes down to tires because of both the performance and the confidence and the mental side of it for me. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that in the tour with wheels a lot, you know, where they've gone to... A different wheel manufacturer and, and yep. you've seen those things kind of blacked out but i i kind of agree with trevor on some of this i mean some of the post stage stuff i think is wild that it's never been used before like that sky was bringing out trainers post stage for the first time five or six years ago and before that people just got on the bus and sat down mm-hmm. sounds like a terrible idea Give me a coke yeah <laughs> you'll be fine <laughs> Maybe uh, walk around the bus a little oh, bit. Was it Vanderpool and his Hawaiian pizza in the Giro? Oh God, that was great. <laughs> but I think just that whole that whole thing of the Giro with Vanderpool was great. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that I would use is on those hot days, and I get poo pooed for this from a lot of people, but I love the ice bath. Yeah, yeah, I love an ice bath, but pre, not pre ice bath, pre cooling. I like pre-cooling. I think it's really important, but I mean, we can use an ice vest for that. Or mm-hmm. And you see you see them going through the ice stocking, mm-hmm. ice socks, a huge amount. And again, I, I, I don't feel like 10 years ago they were even doing that that much. And maybe the coolers just got good enough that you can have ice for five <laughs> hours. Uh, I could certainly tell you 10 years ago when I was racing full-time, yeah, ice stockings, we were getting them all the time. So yeah. I have to believe they were doing it in the okay. tour as and well. You just don't, I didn't see them in jerseys yeah. quite as much as I see them now, right? And it seems like that's a no-brainer. But like after a 40 degrees Celsius stage, which over 100 degrees, just to sit in a cool bath and lower the body temperature and get you to a place where you might be able to sleep at night, seems like a no-brainer. It seems yeah. like low-hanging fruit. And would you go full pitcock and climb into the fountain, like that in the middle of the great. golf course? Or that was what was great. that? It was I incredible. I would probably pass on that just for E. coli purposes. <laughs> um, I did walk by the splash pad, uh, yeah, yeah, or as good. my wife calls it out here, the, on, in on Boulder, the E. coli pad on uh, Pearl Street. Yeah, I mean, I I would I would do that, but I you know I think we can come back to some of what Trevor was saying. We get like, oh, these guys have the mesh the mesh sides on their yep. their shorts or the jerseys this or they're selecting this helmet or that helmet. I think you can get yourself into option paralysis on some of this stuff that you right. you're just going so deep and well, what do I need? What do I do? And you're just overthinking it. Just go ride your bike. Well, so I'll give an addendum to my statement, which is first you got to figure out the maximal formula, right. as you said, what works there. And then if there's things that you can add on that don't impact that, by all means, go go do it. Like ice stockings, 
yeah. they can make a difference. If they don't make a difference, who cares? It's yeah. not impacting anything hurt, else. Yeah. It, it might just make you mentally feel better, but that's fine. It's when you start doing these minimal gains, the, these marginal gains, and they start impacting the big stuff. And look, the, you know, the one other thing I want to add to make the counter argument to the, uh, he just had a day that he bonked is looking at yesterday's stage, which was stage 17, where it ended up coming down to three of them. And he had his, Tade had his lieutenant on the front and Tade couldn't attack. Yeah. And that as a tour leader, if you can't attack when you're a lieutenant on the front, you did something wrong with your training. Yeah, and and there's no doubt he's off. But Vingegaard's been fantastic, and and we yeah, and yeah, you have yeah, to have yeah, seen this coming, here. right? Like the last year when Roglic fell apart for various reasons, all of a sudden Jonas is there and yep. he's not getting dropped. I mean, the, you certainly have seen glimpses of this, and I do think it, the tendency is to look at the guy who's been dominant and say, well, he, he's fallen apart. Vingegaard's just I, I really been good. And yep. I do think that, like, again, as, as you mentioned, Trevor, we haven't seen the whole thing. And this final time trial is going to be interesting to see what both those guys are able to do. Yep. I don't think it's a two-minute gap, right? But who knows? We'll so see. We haven't seen it yet, but here's my hot take, and I'm probably going to be dead wrong. I, guess, but <laughs> I like that you're going out on this limb, though. We know the whole, you know, we've had Sebastian Webinder here talking about the VLA Max mm -hmm. versus VO2 Max, and the way Tade is sprinting right now, I don't see him be able to take two minutes in the time trial. Yeah. You it, think his aerobic capacity is down a little bit, his anaerobic capacity that, is that, up. That's what I was seeing in the yeah. first week. Everybody's going, oh my God, this guy's unbeatable. Look at he's winning the sprints. And I'm looking at that going, he did the wrong training. Mm -hmm. And look, you know, Inigo San Milan, Dr. Inigo San Milan is, is his coach, and we've had him on the show, and Dr. San Milan does a great training for him. And my guess is this was some youthful exuberance, and some guys were convincing Tade, oh, you got to do this, you got to do that. And instead of fully listening to his coach, he, he started doing some stuff he probably shouldn't have done. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge speculator. I have absolutely no clue. You know, for me, it would be uh, going back to that conversation I'd love to see power files to know maybe this is the best he's ever been and it's just not good enough. We, yeah. we don't know that. And I would love the objective data to be able to ascertain that. Yeah. One last thing I want to observe about the tour, and I think this is always interesting, that talking about the American riders and the four American riders, well, there's more than four, but the, the four young guys, right? Yeah. So Nielsen, Mateo, and then Brandon McNulty and Sepp. I mean, they've been fantastic. Yep. Yes. But one thing to point out, and again, this is, we're midway through this, right? Brandon McNulty was amazing yesterday. And he had this unbelievable climbing day. People are losing their, you know what? Oh, oh my God, it's incredible. He's a pure climber. Da, 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 da. He's not a pure climber. Don't forget these guys don't have to be there every day. Right. I yep. mean, I hate to say that, right? The day before, Sep was unreal. He stepped up and he was great. And then yesterday he cracked. All right, kind of makes sense. Yep. Day before, Brandon was nowhere to be found because Rafael Michael was still there. Now McNulty comes because he probably right. sat in a gruppetto yesterday and had yep. an easy day. So let's not do what we've done with some of these American stars in the past and immediately assume these guys are going to go win the tour someday. Yeah. They might. They have that capacity and they might have that ability, but one great climbing day does not a tour star make. Right, which is... I feel the mistake they made with, with TJ Van Garderen. I've always felt bad for him because he had a, a great tour as a lieutenant mm -hmm. and they immediately went, let's make him the leader at the tour. And 
the pressure you feel when you're the leader at the tour, and as you said, you have to be there every day, it can be too much. They should have said, you have the potential. Let's take you to like the Dauphiné, try to win that. Then let's take you to the Volta, see if you can do that, and then try you at the tour. But it was too big a jump. Yeah, and the thing I always thought they made a mistake with TJ is it was pretty obvious pretty early that this was a guy that could win a one-week tour, and he was going to struggle a little bit over three weeks. All right, don't make him your tour captain yeah. for three-week tours. Right. Make him your captain for one-week tours and go win a bunch of races. Instead, it was like, well, that one's not important. And I do think that's a mistake that's made with a lot of riders is, hey, if they can win something, let them win it. I was super worried about this with Wout two or three years ago when people were, oh, my God, he can climb. And they had one year on Yumbo where going into the season, they were talking about trying to get Wout to lose weight. Yep. yep. And he had a terrible year. You know, yep. Terrible by his standards, right? Now look at him. The guy is not concerned about losing weight anymore. He's a beast. And he is a super domus. I mean, the guy is incredible. He's on un- he's unbelievable. And what he's I mean, he's been the to me, he's still the most impressive rider of this whole tour. Yeah. Whether all of his choices have been good ones, I mean, that could be questionable yep. about going off the front. But guy's unbelievable. And I do think it's a great lesson for riders. Masters riders, pro riders, coaches, you don't have to change your rider. Yeah. Maybe take what your rider is already good at and enhance that, yeah. Yeah. and then let's see where it goes. But this goes back to the maximal gains versus marginal yep. gains. I mean, if you are building a Grand Tour winner, the maximal gains, the most important thing to train is the ability to get through 23 days without having a bad day, which is really, really hard to do. But if you... You gain a second here, a second there, and have all these little things that go, this gains you a second, this gains you a second, then you have a day where you lose four minutes. Who cares? Yeah, it's irrelevant. Yeah, but what if, you know, contrary to that, what if you're coming into something and you're equally matched and you lose a grand tour by four seconds because you didn't gain them on the marginal gains? You still, what I'm saying is that's irrelevant unless you first put together the maximal gains, which is you can get through the tour without a bad day. Yeah, I mean, and that's fine. I am of the opinion. I feel like a lot of people treat things as mutually exclusive, and I don't think that they are. Right? I love the statement of this. Why do you need your bike to be lighter? You can lose 20 pounds off your gut. <laughs> like, yeah, man, you can lose 20 pounds off your gut and two pounds off your bike. Why sure. wouldn't you do both of those things? Sure. Sure. You know, and they, they discount something that can be done because it's in the shadow of something else that can be done. And and well, often it's in the shadow of a bigger thing. So again, my argument is focus on the maximal gains, get that taken care of, and then add whatever you can on top of that. But never have the marginal gains supplant the maximal gains. That's the argument sure. I'm making. Yeah, yeah. There's a hierarchy of needs here, right? right? Yeah. So yeah, why wouldn't you ride a, a lighter bike? No, if riding a lighter bike... Because heavier bikes make you stronger, bro. Come on. <laughs> Which I agree with in training. <laughs> Look, I, Trevor's I, got water in his tires. He's got, yeah. uh, you know, a, a, a no, lead frame. <laughs> no, seriously, like I do a Thursday night training race. I weigh my bike down for that training race because I want that race to be as hard as possible on me. Do I do the same thing in a real race? Hell no. Yeah, All right. 
I'm picturing Trevor at Chipotle like beforehand. He's like stuffed oh, full of burritos, yeah. <laughs> you know. He's like, oh, I am as heavy as I could possibly be. And then he like eats some raw chicken and just like vomits everything out it the next perfect, day and like perfect. loses his weight. He rolls up to a ride like Tom Scoyans with like 15 bottles yeah, in exactly, his jersey. Right? That was, hey, first off, I come from like the soft goods, the cycling jersey yeah, world, dude, that right? Was impressive, that was it? incredible how many bottles he had. Like, I want to know what fabric uh, they were uh, using. <laughs> I, I do want to know who Trek's psych, uh, jersey sponsor is. I, I don't know who it is off the top of my head. I don't know off the top of my but head. But that's pretty impressive. That yeah. was a lot of bottles. I will say this about the hierarchy. I think the hierarchy doesn't necessarily need to be marginal or maximal. It needs to be what's the lowest hanging fruit. What's the simplest thing you can get? If that's two-second gain, great. Take the simple two-second gain. If that's a 20-minute gain, take the 20-minute gain, right? But like for me, what I'm saying is, a simple ice bath on a super hot day, what that can do to your core temp, to me, low-hanging fruit. Very little cost. Right. Very little Potentially cost. Potentially big benefit. Very easy. I mean, we do this with the cross team after the early season cross races. I'm going out on the way home, getting three bags of ice, and we're getting in an ice bath because I want them to sleep. Let's finish this up there. That's your approach. My approach is figure out the maximal gains first. Figure out the training plan that works. And then add whatever you can on top of that that does not in any way impact the maximal gains. Rob, how would you describe your approach? I'd uh, be super nerdy, test everything, make good choices. Make good choices. choices. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what my mom used to say, <laughs> yell at me on the way out the door. Make good choices. <laughs> make good choices. Wow. Uh, okay, perfect. we got philosophical about life. Let's move wow. on to the next question. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. I can't take this seriously now. Okay, well, on to my question. I'm going to stick with my training themes, but this is what I've been thinking about because my fitness has not been great lately. I love to do training races, and I, so I do this one every Thursday. And I used to go out to it and absolutely attack the heck out of it. Hold on, wait. Thursday? Thursday. You do Tuesday too? Sometimes. He's well, doubling up the training races. No, I will either do Tuesday you heard or it here Thursday. First. I didn't do this. Trevor, Tuesday. have we talked about how much high intensity work you should be doing per week? Have we talked about your recovery? Just yeah. do your theme music. And have let we me talked talk. about your age? <laughs> <laughs> I avoid that conversation more and more. <laughs> so, so here is my question: If your fitness is not as good, so you are at a training race, and it, it takes a bit of effort just to stay in there. Should you just sit in the field and try to get to the end? Or should you be saying, this is a training race. I'm going to attack. I'm going to go on the moves. And if I only last 20 minutes and then get popped, that's fine. But that's how I get stronger. Or are you better just hanging in till the end? And I, I'm asking this because, like I said, my approach to training races is I go and attack. I be in the moves. And the last time I went, fitness wasn't great. I did the sit-in thing, and I was not happy with myself. But was that the right move for training purposes? It depends. I know. <laughs> like, huh. So are these training races or tr are group rides? Yeah, the tell me more. Race. Okay. Does everyone else know it's a training race? Yes. Okay. So it's one of those like Tuesday night crits or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so you, you know this one. It's the, the bus stop ride. Oh, but it's a ride. That's okay, a, okay. But yeah. it's a race. Yeah. There's a finish line. You are racing one another. Some of these guys, this is their event. I totally understand. I totally understand that. Yeah. 
I would say it depends because it depends on where you're struggling with your fitness, right? Like if you're struggling on your top end, as everybody knows, I take a lot of this stuff from the mental approach or the psychobiological model, right? So where are you struggling? Why are you grinning? Because I thought you said the cycle biological, <laughs> like bicycle. And I was like, they have a theory specifically for bike riding? Yeah, give it a couple of weeks. Okay, I'll come great. out with it. Um, <laughs> that, the, <laughs> it's written in the back of a spiral notebook. Don't worry about it. Super professional, man. Like researched like crazy. No, it's, it depends. Like, So if you're a rider right now that's having trouble recovering from the surges, right? Like it, it, the pace goes way up and then struggling to kind of sit there at LT and recover, then yeah, I would say attack over and over and over again. If it's more of a general fitness just isn't good enough, then I would maybe advise the rider to sit in. I, as a coach, don't like group rides and group races. I like the structured stuff to be structured and the unstructured stuff to be unstructured. This may seem really weird coming from me, but I mean, I'm gonna. I I'm all for riders doing them. Most riders really enjoy that aspect of the training, so I put it in for an enjoyment piece. But I usually try to give them a goal. All right, you're going to the Thursday night bus stop ride. Your goal is to attack off the front over and over and over again. Your goal tonight is to sit in and do as little as humanly possible. So, yeah, I I I think it depends. It depends on what the rider needs. Depends maybe on what you need. That's a good solid straddle the fence answer how do you like that huh i'm I'm gonna try to be a little bit more about this one but trevor i'm gonna actually throw it back to you and i'm gonna reframe the question because i think the concept of this is happening during a, a race a training race i think that that actually adds an element of confusion to the question so let me ask you this if you have an athlete that's out and they're going to do an interval workout and it's supposed to be three by 20 minutes at 300 watts fictitious I know you couldn't do that much. <laughs> three by 20 at 300 watts, but they three can't... Three by 20 or three by eight? No, no, no. Three by 20 yep. at 300 watts. But they're not able to hold the 300 watts for the 20 minutes. They're having a bad day. Their fitness isn't great, whatever it may be. Would your recommendation, would you tell your athlete, well, instead you should continue three by 20, but you should bring the workload down? Or, no, the 300 watts is more important. You should only do three by eight minutes or whatever you could. Is the time more important or is the workload and just hold it as long as you can? My answer is it depends. Oh, God. No, it does depend because when I give them a workout, (laughs) Rob is literally literally leaving. (laughs) I never give them a, you have to hold a specific wattage because your correct wattage is going to vary day to day. I will always give them the range. So first of all, is that within the range? So if, if 280 is still within the range, that's okay. But then I'm also going to have them look at heart rate, look at RPE and see how they're feeling that day. If it's my heart rate's not coming up at all, I'm not feeling good. I, I can only do this at 280. I'm going to go, you are fatigued. You should not be doing a workout. If they're saying, I, I feel fine. And this happened to me yesterday. I was actually doing two by 19 minute intervals. I was 15 watts below what I did two weeks ago, but I was feeling fine. Heart rate response was good. And I just looked and went, I think I was having a really good workout two weeks ago. Did the workout. I was fine that I was 15 watts lower. So it's are you in that place? And Hey, I'm just not as high as I was on another day, but it's within the range. I get it done. Or is it, 
yeah, I'm not recovered. I should not be doing intensity today. That's the determination you need to make. That's why it depends. So what I'll say is based on that, I will now assimilate my recommendation to you, Trevor, in which case in your training race, I feel like you should continue for the duration of the training race, but you should back. You had me at, you have an athlete, (laughs) (laughs) but you should back off of the pack and finish the race at whatever workload you're able to do it, but go for the full duration. Yeah. I I had an athlete a couple of years ago and I wrote out a workout, right? And I said, if the Watts aren't there, complete the workout. Don't worry about hitting this mark exactly or something like that. And I got an email back in the training peaks thing and it said, couldn't hold the wattage, bailed after one or something like that. And I'm screaming in my basement, no, read the... I very much agree with you, Trevor, and in this whole general idea, right? It's, I've said this before, I'll say it again. It's FTP for a reason. It's functional for a reason. Functional means where are you on that any given day? And you probably have your high end, but there's a whole lot of reasons that this end could be, that high end could be pushed down. Sleep, food, all those things. You certainly have to worry about being over fatigued. You have to be able to recognize when you're in a place on a group ride or in a workout and then you're going like, no, I shouldn't be doing this today. Something's wrong. Something is wrong. And in some of the heat we've had over the last two weeks in Boulder and I'd certainly on the East Coast and certainly in Europe, there are certainly situations where you need to pull the plug on a workout because it's 100 degrees out and something's wrong. So, okay, go home and, and do those things. But, like, I hate the idea, well, my, my LT is 300. I wasn't holding 300, so I just bailed. 280 works, people. Two set, I mean, 90 to 100% or however you want to define that threshold range. And I think for me, right, we're, we're talking a, a 10%. If you're going for 300, but you can do 270, you should probably keep going. I, I think If you can only do 250, maybe you're... So far off, it's you're right. something's you're wrong. You're getting the same physiological response for the most part. Right. And so when it comes to a training race, this is why I'm so adamant about why are we going to do that training race? What are we testing? What are we checking? Yep. And if we're checking just general fitness, well, you got your answer the other day. You tried. It didn't really work. You were dying a little bit. I'd say hang in there. Keep doing it. And you've got your answer. Now you can go and create a training plan that addresses what's missing, right? This is my theory on coaching in general or mental coaching in general. You create a hypothesis, you test your hypothesis, what Melanie was talking about, McQuaid, right? You do the experiment, then you come to your conclusions, you rewrite your hypothesis, you try again. This is exactly what the whole thing's about. Yeah. You know, Grant, I hate the fact that I say you know all the time. Just so everybody knows that I know that I say you know, constantly. I told you, you become a host of a podcast and listen to yourself. You are going to figure out everything you hate about the way you talk. It's so bad. Anyway. Do you know um, how often I use the word fantastic? Constantly. Yes. About as much as I say, you You know know. how fantastic I feel like I sound (laughs) on this podcast. (laughs) Well, you don't have any like weird, uh, I haven't noticed anything in you. Well, I've noticed a lot of things. They're coming. Yeah. It's my appearance that that's why the video podcast will be the end of me on this show. (laughs) There you go. Grant was fired because he looks like garbage most of the time. He's like the swamp thing that walked out of the pool. Like, hey, guys. Listeners, you can get nearly 50 of Dr. Steven Seiler's lectures and webinars free at fasttalklabs.com. 
All you have to do is join us at our free listener member level, which unlocks Dr. Seiler's guides to polarized training, interval workouts, and comparisons of training across endurance sports. Plus, we've opened up 12 more of our best member-only content for listener members. Check out our deep dives on training peaks, 4x8, and 5x5 intervals, our guides to testing and HIT, and more. Become a listener member now at FastTalkLabs.com. I think that having a purpose, even for a training race, I'm glad that you brought that up. Why are you there? Why are you doing that? Yep. And I think that that ranges. Sometimes it's fitness. Sometimes it's fun with your friends. Absolutely. Who, who knows? Sometimes it's motivation. As long as you're meeting your purpose for that event, then I think you continue. If you stop meeting your purpose, if your goal is to go in and you're going to say, I want to TT on the front and pull the field and motivate me to a good, solid effort, then do that. Or it could be, I want to sprint hard out of every corner and turn this into a, a short, repeated interval workout then great, go do that. If you can't do that, then maybe it's time to bag it. So I'm not sure what my question ended up being, whether it I was don't know, about training races or question. should you do your your 20-minute intervals at 300 versus 280, but uh, I well, think we got something out of it. It's kind of, of so, all related, right? Like, what are you going to get is. out of it? A, a, a purpose. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that that's the root of both of those questions. I would agree with that. And I think that's really, really important. And I think this is relevant too. As you go into the change of seasons, are you changing your discipline? Well, now I'm going and doing a cross ride. Now I'm going to do the group road ride or doing the group. Why are you there? What do you need to work on? Assess afterwards. Take some feedback. Move forward. Bob's your uncle. My purpose is always the same. To quote Hurt Ar people. Yeah. No, to, to quote, quote Arnold Hulk Schwarzenegger. Smash. <laughs> To crush your enemies, <laughs> to see them driven before you. <laughs> that that is always my purpose. <laughs> are, are we on Trevor's good side? That poor group ride. Just like, <laughs> I mean, everybody's. What was the movie? There was this old movie a long time ago where where guy was. It was like one of those Saturday night specials about Dungeons and Dragons, right? And he looked at a random person and saw the monster and tried to kill him. I feel like that's Trevor every time he goes to a ride. It could just be me standing there going, hi, Trevor. And he sees <laughs> like, a monster's face going, going to crush Screw him. you, Trevor. <laughs> Sadly, that's about accurate. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. I will go and grab a beer with you after a race. I will be your best friend before the race. In the race, I will destroy you and then back up and roll over you nice <laughs> uh, all right as long as we know what we're getting into that's fine hey you remember that sprint workout video we recorded together yes we, did you have those feelings during that i couldn't catch you to roll over you <laughs> okay otherwise I was, yes i was, yes, starting, I to, I was starting to feel bad for you i didn't realize i was doing that to your to your ego at that wow. point no, right. i am not that bad in a race all I'm right i think it's time myself I think it's time, time to move Rob. on from yep. this, and uh, we'll go to uh, Rob. Where, where are you at? I have a story. I always have a story. Yeah, we like your stories. No, for me, Saturday rides are big adventure rides. I love to take my mountain bike into some more secluded, less traveled places, kind of out in the backcountry, the, the area that I rode in. This time had 30 riders on a Strava segment for the, for the whole year. So some people have gone there, but not very many. And the route was pretty hard. Up a lot of steep climbs. I'm off my bike. I'm, I'm, I'm hiking. I'm pushing, panting, working really hard. And I'm in the absolute middle of nowhere. And I kind of get to, to the top of where I'm going. And uh, I knew that there was a descent that I could take. It was a trail. 
I was a little bit late. I thought maybe I should go that way, but ultimately I chose to go the original way that I planned to go because of time and because my family and everything was at home. This story is going somewhere, just so you know. And that faith. That place that it's going is here. As I descended down a very common, popular road in, in Boulder County, I came upon an emergency. There was a cyclist that was in significant need of help. And I feel very fortunate that I've spent 20 years in the medical field, and and I was equipped and able to help this person to the best of my abilities. You know, but the thing that I'm interested in talking about today is, would you guys, both Trevor Grant, but then also all the listeners out there, would you know what to do in this emergency situation? And have you guys ever been into a situation where either you needed care or there was somebody else that needed care? And and what was that like? I think you need to, I mean, Tell the, the extent of the story. I know. Okay, you yeah. Avoided, if, but... if you want, I can go a little bit deeper. As I was descending down, I noticed a rider coming up a very steep stretch of road fall over in front of me. I immediately stopped within two seconds of them hitting the ground. I checked with them. I uh, introduced myself. I asked them their name. Uh, they were able to tell me. I asked if, if anything hurt, what was bothering them. And they said, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And I checked pulse, carotid pulse, radial pulse. Pulse was very weak. I continued asking questions. Do you know what day it is? Kind of a mumble, kind of starting to lose consciousness. So I flagged down a car and I said, hey, this guy's in trouble. Can you call 911? As I turned back around, the person was blue and they were in a hypoxic seizure. So I immediately started CPR, rolled them on their back and began chest compressions and did that for approximately 10 minutes until volunteer EMS arrived. And it was a surreal experience because I'm literally in a ditch on the side of the road, literally in a ditch. I still have like cuts on my knee from doing CPR and people were riding up and down. They were driving up and down the road two feet behind me as I'm in the ditch with this guy. I did compressions for 10 minutes. Um, Volunteer EMS showed up and they did, uh, they had an AED. They continued compressions. Professional ambulance showed up. They did everything they could. You know, at that point, they were able to introduce some some cardiac medication. The helicopter showed up. We had everybody there on the side of the road for an hour. And at the end of the day, he didn't make it. And it was a very surreal experience for me. And I, to cap it off, I rode back home in a, in a th- raining thunderstorm, afraid to climb up a steep hill sure. to get back to my house. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and, and so it's, it's, at 20 years in the medical field, this is the first time I've ever had to do this in real life. And it was amazing that I was able to step in and just, it took over. Like, you know, it absolutely was an automatic response. It was a blur. I wasn't aware of anything going on around me. Yeah. So first, thank you for sharing that. I know that was a, a tough experience on you, but it's an important question and glad you brought it up. So everyone's shell shocked now. Everyone yeah. is just like, sorry to be the downer of this episode, but it is important. And and the the thing I knew as I was descending down, I knew immediately this was my topic. We have yeah. to talk about yeah. this. Yes. Right. Because sometimes I can be a little like, oh, we're just out in the media world creating content. And for me, if something good comes out of this, this one topic, this one episode, it's all worth it. So last potluck, we asked people to go to our forum. You would Ken shared a story and asked people to share their stories of their failures. And the response was great. Thank you for that. 
So we'll create a forum thread for this and please come and share experiences you've had and more importantly, what you've learned from it. Yep. So I guess I'll start here because I have been in some similar situations. I told my story about my friend last year who suffered bad heat stress. Yep. We were worried we were going to lose him. Yep. What I have learned from these experiences is the biggest danger, particularly when you have a lot of people, is that effect of everybody swarming around and doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So what I have learned is if you have training like Rob did, get in there, take charge, do something. If you don't have something to add, you don't have training, you don't know what to do, the best thing you can do is get out of there. Standing around just gets in the way. So either help, do something, use whatever training you have to to help that person, or just get out of the way. And and I think that, that help is potentially a lot of things. Help could be directing traffic. Yep. Yep. You, you know, it, it help does not necessarily mean doing mouth to mouth or giving somebody medicine. There, there's a lot of things clearing the scene. If there's an accident, getting the bike out of the middle of the road. But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, helpful it's, is uh, important. Standing around gawking. Correct. You're in the way. I think this. I'll make a point specific to bikes first. I've had some very similar experiences. But in the bike sense, first, I'm always a bit surprised when we're out for a ride and I have a flat or something like that. How many people just go go by? Yep. Be the person who asks, do you need anything? Yep. And if, if even if the person's just standing on the side of the road for whatever, do you need anything? There's no harm in that question. Yep. And if the answer is, yeah, I could use some water there might be a bigger issue, but we have a community here. Like I've always been pretty adamant about wave at the people you see on the road. And in Boulder, sometimes that means your left arm gets sore because it's yeah. up and down so often. But you know, we have like-minded people. We need to support our community. And asking if somebody needs some help, it's such a small thing. And someday it may be a huge thing like what Rob went through. It may be a tiny thing where you get them home in time to see their daughter's recital, um, their son's soccer game, because they didn't have a tube. So stop and check on this stuff. I think that's super important. And what's also important is even if the answer is no, sometimes don't believe the person. Yeah, keep an eye on them, right? If if you ride by and and they're just there and they're they're adjusting their headset or whatever, and they got the tool and they say, no, they're fine, they're probably fine. Yeah. But if something looks a little bit off, stop, talk with them. You don't have to pester them about something, but just talk. Do they seem okay? Do they seem normal? And the reason I bring this up is I've been in this situation myself. (laughs) I was mountain biking in the middle of nowhere and uh, I, I broke my collarbone. And I kind of like these adventures because I like getting myself out of jams. And so I did what I always do. I picked my bike up and I just started walking with a broken collarbone Mm -hmm. and Fortunately, somebody came by and they said, hey, are you okay? And I said, yep, I'm fine. My collarbone was literally in five pieces at mm. this point. And so they kept on riding. But then they got smart and they were like, you know, I don't think that guy's okay. And they came back. And at the end of the day, I'm really happy that I had their help. Sure. It's hard to push a bike with one arm down a trail. People, so <laughs> when these things happen to them, they can get into a delirious state where they don't really know how they're doing. Yeah. yeah they or they- need to identify that and go... I don't care what answers they're giving me. They yep. need help. Or they're just in shock and it doesn't hurt yeah. yet. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And, and, and so looking at your situation, how many people rode by that could have been of service to what was going on if they had just said, yep. do you need any help? 
10 minutes of CPR, I've been there, I've done that. It's exhausting. Yep. Having yep. somebody else come by and say, do you need help? Do you know CPR? Yes, I do. Can you come in? Two-person CPR is heck of a lot easier than one-person CPR. It changes the game. And it's not that hard to coordinate between people, especially the way they teach CPR now, which is five and one or 15 and one or yeah. however they want to do it. So actually, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to give some recommendations here. The first recommendation that I'm going to give is specific to cardiac things. You can go to redcross.org and one, you can get training right there and then. Uh, you can also find a class. And I think that in-person classes are better than online because yes. you you have yes. somebody in the room that watches you do this stuff. Yep. And they're they're relatively cheap. Sometimes you can do it through your workplace. At the very least, they're less than $100 and it's probably worthwhile info if you don't have it. But I'm going to give some recommendations now that are very basic. And the reason I'm going to do it is this. Crappy CPR is better than yep. no CPR. Let's, yep. let's be very honest about that. Yep. Okay. So if you do come across somebody and you suspect a, a cardiac issue, right? Signs of that could be significant fatigue in the person. They might not say anything about chest pain or chest pressure. And, and in my case, they kept reporting, oh, I'm just so tired, this overwhelming heavy fatigue. Not a, oh, my legs are tired because I was going up a steep climb, okay? The other side of it, there can definitely be confusion that's going on, loss of consciousness, the very first thing that you have to do in a situation like that is check the scene for safety. Yep. If you're in the middle of the road on a blind corner, you have to get the person out of the road. You have to, absolutely. You got to protect yourself more than anything. Because it's not going to matter. It won't matter, right. exactly. If somebody hits you with a car, it's not going to matter. Yep. If that person is unresponsive, tap, hit them, try to wake them up, shout at them, try to regain consciousness. If they're unconscious, check for breathing, check for a pulse, put your ear down next to their, their mouth, right? Are they breathing or not? No breathing, no pulse. You have to call 911 first. You can do chest compressions forever. You're, you will not bring that person back. Right. That is sustaining them. 911 is more important than anything else. So get 911. Or if you have a tracker, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this later, hit that SOS button on your tracker, right? It's not just for you. It's, it's for all of the people around you. And so it, let's say there's no breathing, no pulse. You get 911 called, get that person on their back kneel over them, clasp your hands together, get the heel of your palm right in the center of their chest on their sternum. And with the full weight of your body on your straight arms, compress that chest straight down. You have to compress it down. You might hurt this person. You might break bones. That is yeah. okay. You're doing it right in that situation. They can't feel it. They'd rather be alive than have a That's broken sternum. That's what I remember from my CPR classes. What yep. you see in the movies... That's yeah, not right. And I, I think this is one of the things that's the most important. It was a long time ago, but it and 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 I'm going to come back to this point. That was the experience I had giving CPR was, oh my god, this is not the same as they taught me. Like it it feels very different. You go very deep. There's a lot of sounds. Yep. yep. And you have to continue to do it. Correct. Yep. And you have to continue to do that in a good rhythm. Right? It's it's count yourself out. The counting actually, it just, it helps with the rhythm one and two and three and four, just that rhythm. That's exactly what you need to be doing and keep doing this until someone comes. If somebody comes to relieve you, then great. The current recommendation now is chest compressions only, especially in somebody who is not formally trained. 
in all honesty, it is very difficult to do rescue breaths correctly. And more often than not, you're ending up blowing air into the person's stomach, Stomach. not into their lungs. If you are untrained, then just do the compressions. Now, in the U.S. and in most countries in the world, for what it's worth, there are quote-unquote good Samaritan laws. If you are trying to help someone to the best of your ability and you're not doing something negligent, uh, don't don't drop a boulder on their chest right. because you think that's going to revive them. That might right. be negligent. But you you are immune from any sort of, of legal liability, right? And so it's okay to, to step up and to try to do this. So the thing that really had an impact on me, and this goes back to what I was saying before that I learned in one of my CPR classes, is there is that lemming effect. You will have a bunch of people that will circle somebody who's on the ground in trouble and none of them will help. So if you have that bit of training and nobody's doing something, somebody has to take charge. So get down the ground, start helping them. But here's the really interesting thing. If you say you got 20 people surrounding you, if you say somebody called the police, nobody will do it. You have to point to somebody to go, you call the police. Yep. You get the bikes off the road. You direct traffic. You have to point to people, tell them what to do. If you just generally say, somebody do this, somebody do that, they'll stand and watch and nobody will step up. Yeah. And another thing that you're raising up here, Trevor, too, is is to also, I'm going to say be cautious. I don't know that that's the right word. But ultimately, it's better to make a big deal out of nothing than it is to assume that something isn't that important and to not do anything about it. Don't be embarrassed. Don't think something is going to reflect poorly on you. I think that those two things prevent a lot of people. They want to help, but they're afraid. They don't want to mess something up, you know, or they don't want to be like, Grant, man, you blew, Grant, you're such an idiot. Why did you, I was fine, you know, hey man, uh, you know. (laughs) Well, and and here's a, a last piece to that. An ambulance driving to a scene does not cost anybody anything. Doesn't matter about medical insurance. Doesn't matter about anything. The ambulance coming and that person getting assessed does not cost a penny. They don't have to pay anything until they get into the ambulance. And at that point, the EMTs are going to be able to make a distinction about what's going on, give the advice. And if that person chooses at that point not to do that because of money, whatever, that's on them. You've done your due diligence. So never worry about those aspects and those pieces of the puzzle. I would like to add a piece directly to you. Yeah. I have been, I was a lifeguard on the beach. That's when we lost somebody, different circumstances, but I was in a similar situation to you. I've on the way to a marathon in Crested Butte. We watched a, a three fatality accident and were involved in the, the medical attention right afterwards. Talk about it. Yeah. Share your story share your emotions, share how you're feeling. I'm affected to this day by those things in positive and negative ways. I, I have flashbacks to those pieces of my life. And it's it. And for a long time, I just, I'll just deal with them. I'm going to be a tough guy. I'll deal with them. Um, and what I've found over time is talking about them, sharing those experiences. You find a lot more people that have been through similar situations. They can talk to the same things. They can talk about how they dealt with those feelings afterwards. We got to talk, people, and and it's going to help a lot of people maybe save somebody's life in a situation like this and maybe help somebody's mental state, mental health post-experience. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point about talking after about things. 
I'd actually love to to talk about talking before things. Yeah. And and that is, you know, things that you can do to protect yourself and to protect other people. Always let somebody know where you're going. And I know, and and maybe this is me being a a, a pig-headed guy. My wife would like ask me, like, where are you riding? And I would I'd be like reluctant to tell her because and maybe it was because <laughs> It, it made me feel like, oh, well, that makes me feel like there's the possibility that something could go wrong. You, you know what I mean? And, and if I make no big deal out of this, sure. it, and here's the thing, it, it was a, a, a crappy thing to do, right? I mean, it, it's just not right. You know, let people know what your route is, where you're going. If you make a route on on Strava, Map My Ride or whatever, you can easily share and email that to mm-hmm. somebody. And that's great. That's potentially important. Turn on tracking all the major devices, Garmin, Wahoo, whatever else, you can send a tracking link to people. If you frequently ride in a place without cell service, then um, get a, a GPS tracking device. They're really not that expensive. They go on sale at REI. There's a little bit yep. of a subscription. I only have my subscription active for certain times of the year. I don't have it active in the winter when I'm not using it. But I have used that device. I've been behind schedule. I use that device to let my wife know I was going to be late sure. during this incident on Saturday. I didn't have to use it for the emergency, but it gave me the ability to text somebody yep. even though there was no service. Yep. Right. So those things are important. The other thing is, and this is something that I think you need to talk about, if you have concerns about your own health, get it checked out. Go see someone. If you have a recurring chest pain, if you have, we all get heartburn, right? But if you get heartburn going up every hill that you're climbing, sure. it's not heartburn. Let's be honest here. Go see a doctor. If your heart kind of beats abnormally, if you're looking down at your heart rate monitor and it's giving you these weird numbers, they might, you know, it might not be your heart rate monitor. Right. It might not be the telephone wire that's next to you. It could actually be your heart. And the biggest one is fatigue. Yeah. If you're going up a hill and just going... I can't put out my normal wattage here. I don't understand why. That is a big sign. Yeah. Global fatigue, right? As you yeah, were saying abnormal. earlier, right? Yes. Not just legs. You know, we've, we've talked about it on this. Chris Case, obviously, is well-versed in this. But these are hidden things for a reason. Know your genetic history. Know your family history. If you're over 40, go get your heart looked at. Yeah. I mean, it's just not going to take that much And it is going to be great for your peace of mind, your family's peace of mind. And it might catch something that you didn't see. Correct. Um, Yeah. And and encourage the same of your riding partners too. You know, you you got, you're all in this together for what it's worth. You know, be diligent, be protective of the people around you just as they should be for, for, you know, for you as an individual. You know, the last thing that I want to touch on, because I think that this is another area that's potentially important and and Trevor, you had a prior prior to me and, and Grant really being regulars on the show, you had a great heat illness, you know, that covers a lot of this information. I do encourage people to uh, go back and, and look at that. But if you are riding in a hot environment with someone and, and try to be cognizant of this for yourself, but it's very difficult when you're the person. So be cognizant of it in people that you're riding with. If you notice, again, heavy fatigue, if somebody is confused, if they have dizziness or fainting, they're showing signs of this heat illness, you almost have to force them to do the right thing because they're going to say, oh no, I'm fine. I'm just a little tired. I just, I need a little bit more water. They're going to downplay it. You have to take command of this person. As right? we talked about in that episode, it's amazing how quickly they go off the rails. Yep. He went from, he was a little tired, but he was fine to lying on the ground, unable to move. Yep. 
So in that situation, again, number one, check the scene for safety, right? We got to be safe before we do anything. If somebody is suffering from what you think is a heat-related illness, get off any extra clothing that you can and also move that person to a shaded area if possible. Get their legs above their heart to help improve venous return. Try to replace fluids in them, small frequent sips, but if they're vomiting, don't keep trying to pour water down their throat, right? Don't do that. If they're unconscious, do not pour anything in their mouth. Most important, though, to cool them off, get them wet and keep them wet. If you're near a river, I don't know that you should submerge them, but it's a good source of water to keep them wet. Yep. But that is going to help cool people. And if you have to pour scratch on them and they're going to get sticky and salty, then great, do it. Use whatever you have. That's going to be one of the quickest ways that you can to help cool that person off, which is hugely important. Well, guys, I think it's time to wrap up here. So hope you enjoyed the conversation. Who wants to do the outro here? I don't look at me. I don't, I don't have a computer. <laughs> Hey, thanks for coming, everybody. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think the big thing, you know, for everybody out there listening is this. These are conversations among Grant, Trevor, and myself, but we also want them to be conversations among everyone else. So if you have things to add, if you have things that you want to just get out cathartically into the universe, like, like Grant is saying... Then, then reach us, you know, at forums.fasttalklabs.com. If you don't want to do that, then, then there's Twitter and there's email and there's everything else. But we want to continue these conversations with everybody listening. So that was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast. I had it right in front of me. Whoa, he has it in front of him. <laughs> Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Rob is making noises while I'm doing this. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join and become a part of the education and coaching community. This has been a horrible read. For Grant Holicky, Rob Pickles, and the Canadian education system, Trevor Connor. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 